Welcome everyone to episode two of the Two Tongues Podcast. I'm Bonjour, Chris. And I'm Kyle. Oh, there we are. All right. So today, uh, what we thought we'd what we thought we'd talk about was actually I was uh reading uh reading a book, uh The Archetypes of the Collective Unconscious by Carl Jung, and we did mention him yesterday, uh last week I should say on the podcast. Um so you know, it obviously was on t- top of my mind, and there were some things in that in that book that surprised me. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for, when anybody thinks about Carl Jung and the uh, kind of early days of psychology, um, you know, there's all kinds of interesting stuff with with Freud and uh, and Jung. And by the way, Kyle, if you haven't seen the show Freud on Netflix, good, worth watching. It's very much worth watching. I recommend it highly. Yeah, it is subtitled. It's in German. Oh. Me likey, but see, I, I it doesn't bother me. It, I, think, I like, yeah. I, I think it adds to it. Yeah, okay. In the same way that that Apocalypto and the Passion of the Christ were like yeah, extra get awesome that and authentic going on. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we just recently watched Apocalypto. That Mel Gibson, he's a hell of a director, man. Oh man. So that <laughs> it's off topic, but um, Apocalypto was really really good. Yeah. One of those, um, and and interesting because. There wasn't a lot of dialogue mm-hmm. because, of course, you had to read it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was super authentic and super entertaining from start to finish. Yeah, I do think that it's funny that there are elements of, um, you know, Mel Gibson as a director kind of dances on this line between being one of these really good kind of, you know, epic filmmakers. And also there's the parts like in the beginning where the guy rubs the herb on his like <laughs> genital area. And it's like it just reminds me of some of those 80s movies that Mel Gibson did himself. Uh, yeah. Know? Yeah, that's a little bit uh, gratuitous for for the laugh, but yeah. uh But I mean that, I liked it. I you know, it oh, has yeah. it has its charm. Yeah, absolutely. Um oh. but yeah, I'm not sure how Apocalypto ties into Young. Hmm. Well, that would that could be a whole other podcast. How, <laughs> how does Apocalypto tie into Young? Yeah. Well, in any case, um what what made me interested in uh Carl Jung was that this whole idea of archetypes. I didn't really understand and I still don't. I read this whole thing. I still don't really understand it well. Yeah. What's your what's your understanding of archetypes? Oh, it's very little. I mean, um, you know, I haven't read any Carl Jung really. The uh, the most experience I have with Carl Jung is Jordan Peterson talking about mm-hmm. him. And, you know, a little bit of, um, like, cursory reading, like Wikipedia pages, right. things like articles, things like that, um, and maybe some YouTube videos. But, yeah, no, I, I don't really know a ton about I mean, I know some about Joseph Campbell and his work with the archetypes and stuff like that. Yes. Um, but still, even about that, I don't know a ton. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I read one book that he, that he uh, wrote, but other than that, it was just he did a lot of um, for TV uh, stuff. Okay. Um, uh, like PBS type stuff. But in any case, um, so the what I've been able to figure out reading, and this, this book is basically a whole bunch of articles, um, spe- speeches that Young gave uh, from the 30s yeah. all the way through the 50s. So it starts off, you know, like, uh, before the Second World War, and it ends sort of like in the Cold War era. Uh, the writing sort of wraps up right around that time. So sort of an interesting time in in uh, the wor- world history. Um, and, and in any case, the idea of the archetypes that I've gathered from this is uh, what he's saying is that there are um, instincts that we all have, mm-hmm. um, and that those instincts that we, um, that we sort of... Um, 
uh, encounter them in images. So that's where these pictures come from, and that's why it gets tied into mythology, and that's why you know it's something that Joseph Campbell would talk about as well, because the images that you see in different myths all over the world, they, they correspond to these archetypes, and these archetypes correspond to instincts that we have. And as best I can figure, those instincts have to do with uh, like our psychological development as we're as we're uh, you know growing up. Yeah. Um, but what this is what surprised me though. Reading you know four hundred some pages of of these uh, you know these conversations, um, there was here and there peppered in political what I thought were political points that he was making. Yeah, some of them clearly. Clearly, oh he yeah he basically comes right out yeah. and says it, um, and it's and it, it's funny because you mentioned Jordan Peterson and it it. it ties into the same type of, of uh, thing that he focuses on, which sure. is, has a lot to do with totalitarianism Absolutely. and, yeah. you know, Nazism and what I, I love Jordan Peterson's, uh, when he talks about the Soviet Union, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think enough people talk about the terrible things that happened in the Soviet Union. Yeah, I agree. And that may be one of those things, like we were saying last week, that um, you on purpose don't hear about. Mm-hmm. Um you know, one hundred percent. I believe that to be true. Yeah, we don't we don't want to talk about the horrors of communism uh, or totalitarian uh, governments in our recent past. Let's beat that dead horse of Hitler one more time, though. Right. Yep. Yep. Because um, those who uh, uh, who are ignorant of history are doomed to repeat it. Kyle, Which, it's interesting that that comes up because in this in this you know the quotes that you sent me, he does directly mention national socialism. Um, and a lot of the times when, you know, it's like, uh, I think this was actually in the podcast that didn't get released, that didn't get recorded. But I said that even though I have what I think to be good and valid criticisms of Trump, I don't like to pile on Trump because everyone hates him. So right. like, what's the point? Exactly. Know? Um, uh, y- you know, I know that like now I'm kind of, con- um, comparing Trump and Hitler, but I kind of feel the same way. It's like everyone talks about how evil Hitler and the Nazis are all the time. Mm. I would rather talk about... Bolshevism, yeah. So yeah, I mean, well, that, that's sort of like a you know, it's from an American history perspective, it's sort of like an unknown, uh, unknown thing. I mean, there wasn't a lot dedicated in um, nope. in history class to that. Yeah, and I remember learning about you know the Cuban Missile Crisis mm-hmm. and the Cold War in general. But yeah, and then you find out later when you start doing your own historical research that um, you know a few decades before we were actually on the same team as those guys. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah, uh, but. I just bring that up because, like I said, in those quotes, you know, it, it is different, I think, uh, because he actually witnessed the the phenomenon exactly. of national socialism. Well, that, that's, so. why, that's why I mentioned the time period when these were written from the 30s to the 50s, because obviously that was, um, you know, top, top of everybody's mind, mm-hmm. um, you know, right after, I mean, leading up to the Second World War and then immediately after it and all of the fear of the kind of the growing communist threat at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, that this was like bomb shelter era. This is like, you know, people were afraid. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a crazy and, historical era. And what's, see, what's interesting to me about it, though, is that, you know, Carl Jung, is a, he's a, a psychologist and he has individual patients. And so his career, his job is making people mentally healthy. Uh, that's, that's his goal. Mm-hmm. For, so for him to focus so much, and I don't, I, I don't say so much. Um, it, it's really only yeah. a couple of things. But we'll, we'll read them. And when we do, you'll see they're... they're dramatic quotes they're you know very straightforward about it and he he makes a connection between like mental illness and people and then kind of like an equivalent mental illness of the state so like like you know the groups of people in his mind can suffer from the same types of 
you know, for lack of a better word, mental illness that individuals are suffering from. I mean, I again, this is um, my failing and not really knowing that much about Young, but he's the guy who talks about the collective unconscious, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that makes sense. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Absolutely. And and so the way he describes it is that the the collective unconscious is populated by archetypes. Okay. So it's like the collective unconscious is the place where the archetypes oh, exist oh. and that we can all tap into that. Sweet. Something like that. I like that. It's interesting. It's uh, it's interesting and it's almost, there's almost something, um, you know, again, the little I know about Jung, one of the things I know is that on top of being a psychologist and maybe because he's a psychologist, he's actually one of the more interesting Christian thinkers. Um, um, so I just think that it, it this archetype thing, it's interesting that it um, it almost seems kind of mystical. Well, so Car- Carl Jung has been the reason why he's not a he's not a um, you know, even even Freud's name is more recognizable to most people than mm-hmm. Jung. The reason Jung isn't a household name is exactly for that reason, because at the time when he was doing his writing, psychology was brand new as a science. Yeah. And and he was mystical as far as that goes he talked about religion a lot um i don't know personally if he was a christian or considered himself one uh, but he does talk about christianity um a lot uh and, and other religions and, and and mythology from all over the world yeah. but it, but it came across uh to his peers as unscientific yeah it was at a time when people wanted to get away from the woo-woo nonsense and and i've got some notes on on that type of thing in here with one of these quotes um so well let's let's get into let's get into it though because i think I'll, I'll read the first one um the first one is the earliest one so it would have been right around the mid-30s and carl jung was influenced by um emmanuel kant and for those people who don't know Kant, he wrote a book called The Critique of Pure Reason, which um, I have not read. I tried listening to on audio, yeah, and it's, it's very, like, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. I'll get through it, though, because... Uh, one of these days. It's, it's one of the most important you yeah. know, works of philosophy ever. Um, but in it, Kant is critiquing pure reason, exactly like he says. So this, th- this would have been earlier, obviously, than Jung, but it was at a time when science was becoming the dominant you know, um, um, power, yeah. And, you know, in, in culture and in, in Western the Western world, and uh, and he basically wrote this book saying that that if we rely on the faculty of reason, if we rely on logic and and reason exclusively, it will lead us astray. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jordan Peterson did a great job of uh, of kind of giving an example of that when he said you can have a philosophy that's completely logically consistent, like Nazism. Yeah. Um, and it could be obviously the wrong direction and misled and uh, powerful enough still to convince, you know, an entire country to to follow kind of a, a crazy man. Yeah. Um, so um, so this first quote to me has something to do with that. It has something to do with pointing out that if we get too focused on on reason and and uh, we don't allow ourselves to think about kind of the real world and what we're really like, that. Uh, not, not only will it lead us astray, it will lead us down the wrong path, but that path w- will be as terrible as you can imagine. So I'm, I'm going to read it, and I'll, I'll tell you what, what I think about it. Right. All right, so it goes something like this. It says, The more independent reason pretends to be, the more it turns into sheer into intellectuality, which puts doctrine in the place of reality, and shows this man not as he is, but how it wants him to be. Okay, so really it's, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, wh- where my mind goes is when, when he says that 
the more independent reason pretends to be. What what he means is, when, when we like to kind of separate ourselves from the like the scientific way of thinking and pretend that there's some sort of objective reality that's not uh, that's that's not tied into our own um, individuality, that it's completely objective apart from ourselves, and and that's why he says as independent as it pretends to be, like it's not, that's not a real thing. Mm -hmm. uh, reason is always going to be something that comes out of an individual's head. Okay. Their, their way of thinking. It's, that, it's tainted by that. Sure. That was one of the questions I had about that quote. It's like the, it, I was like w reason independent of what I wasn't really sure, but yeah, that makes sense. Reason's always going to be tied to the psyche or the, you know, the person who's reasoning. Exa so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and you kind of have to assume that the person who's reasoning is flawed in some way. Sure, yeah. But if, as soon as you decide that's not the case and you kind of, kind of pretend that it's not, it's going to lead into, uh, you know, into destruction. And basically what he says at the end of that is it's going to, it's going to put doctrine in the place of reality. Mm -hmm. So it's, we're, you know, we're, we're now going to pretend that the world is a certain way, even if it's not. And then we're going to, and it says, show man as, as, not as he is, but how he wants himself to be. So not only are we going to pretend that the world is a certain way, we're going to pretend that we're a certain way to, so that we can make it all make sense. Yeah. And I know this is kind of um, abstract, but these quotes start to build on each other. Yeah. Uh, but, but what do you think about this so far? Um, I mean, I, I think that it, not having that tidbit of the reason being tied to the reasoner makes it make more sense uh but i mean i was thinking that uh you know basing reality on ideals can be dangerous just because a lot of the times we can have these ideals we can have this perfect way that we think people should act mm -hmm. but it's hard to actually act that way and exactly you know a lot of the times you end up with you expecting other people to live up to these ideals because you know maybe you're in charge or something um, but you're not living up to those ideals because no one can. It's not, yeah. it's not possible to live up to those ideals. I agree. I think you, you couldn't have said it any better. Um, so that reminds me of, of last week talking about, we were talking about anarchy and communism a little bit, and I was talking about how those are these sort of idealized forms of government that, sure. that don't, in my opinion, neither of them can really work in practice mm -hmm. because it doesn't really take into account what people are really like. Yeah. You know, we, we, we can say, you know, in a, in a, in a perfect you know, functioning communism, everything would be great, but it will never function perfectly. And in fact, will never function at all as we've seen historically. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, I think that's uh, a really good point. Um, these, these quotes start to get a little bit more to the point, a little bit more political as we go through. And, and the next one appears like, you know, maybe, a, you know, almost a hundred pages later. Um, and it says something like this. It says, the danger becomes all the greater the more our interests fasten upon external objects and the more we forget that the differentiation of our relation to nature should go hand in hand with a differentiation uh, relation to the spirit. So this is what I mean about him being mystical. He's still using words spirit. like spirit. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then he goes on to say, um, so as to establish the necessary balance. He says, if the outer object is not offset by an inner, unbridled materialism results coupled with maniacal arrogance, or else the extinction of the autonomous personality, which is in any case the ideal of the totalitarian mass state. So that's the first time he said totalitarian mass state or anything yeah. like that. And it blew me away because, you know, you're halfway through the book when you get to this quote. 
And what caught my attention was those two words, um, maniacal, maniacal arrogance and unbridled materialism. Yes, for sure. Because, well, I mean, it, you, it's you, like he's calling it from from years, you know, he's like uh, he's a uh, who, who's Nostradamus. Nostradamus. There you go. Exactly. So when I when I think about the state of our culture today and, and, and you know, that's those are two things that come to my mind. Um, unbridled materialism, you know, this this and that's the uh, that's the criticism that that people say about about capitalism that, yeah. you know, we're focused too much on things. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Um, uh, that's one way to think about materialism. You know, the stuff. Give me the new phone. Give me the big TV. Another way to think about materialism is this idea that everything is just stuff, you know, that everything is just molecules Made and particles. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and I, I think that that's something to think about, too. I don't know if he necessarily meant that. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But I do think that that is a prevalent way of thinking. Um, it's like the way of thinking now. Sure. You know? No, no, it is. Um, and I agree with you. And I think that would be a really interesting conversation. We would probably take uh, a whole podcast in and of itself to talk about that idea. But I, I don't think I disagree, and I don't think anybody listening probably disagrees, that uh, that the universe is made of matter. It's made, yeah. of, made of atoms and, and energy and, and so forth. Um, what, what I find interesting is what the implications are of that, mm-hmm. because because what 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 seems to be being said here is that if we put too much reliance on uh, on matter on the material basis of reality, that we're missing something. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, one hundred percent. And then as soon as you ask the question, what is that something you're missing? That is why Jung is mystical. Yeah, that's one of the one of the reasons. Yeah. So. When he says spirit, what is he talking about? Is he talking about an archetype? Um, I, he uses the word spirit and psyche almost almost synonymously. Okay. So so when he says spirit or psyche, I take that to mean um, the 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 world that we live in in our own heads, like the okay. you know whatever it is that we that that our consciousness um, occupies that uh, it corresponds to the to the world around us. Okay. Um. um. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that he hit a lot of stuff on the head with the materialism. And, uh, you know, the, um, what does it say here? How about, the, how about the maniacal arrogance part? Yeah, absolutely. Because when we were, last week when we were talking about uh, the media and, and the fact that there's only, seems to be one, one permitted opinion on things. Sure. Um, to me, that word comes immediately to mind as appropriate. Arrogant. Maniacal oh, arrogance. Maniacal arrogance, like specifically, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it is... The, the stuff that they will just push out to you and expect you to swallow without questioning it at all is maniacally arrogant. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't think of a better word. Yep. What, uh, what did you have on this? Anything else, Kyle? He, he says, spirit threatens the naive-minded man with inflation. Um, yes. And boy, is that, is that not true? You think about like all these people... And you go to, I mean, you think about like Instagram or something like that. Mm. And these people are getting all these likes. And I mean, it makes you feel good, 100%. Um, and these people start to get, I mean, I'm a Twitter guy more than an Instagram guy. Mm. But so I see it a lot there. Like these people write these tweets and they get all these likes and they think that they're important and they think that they're telling the truth. And it's just full of shit, man. And it, it makes, 
they get their own sense of maniacal arrogance, you yeah. know, like that what they say matters, yeah. you know. You know what that reminds me of is another word that is in this Carl Jung is the word persona, which we, we use that word. We kind of know what that word means. But um, but when you're talking about that, um, the personalities, the uh, so a, a, what a persona is like the way that it, that's used is like the face that you put on uh, when you want when you're when you're supposed to be representing something like your work personality or your, you know, the personality you are with your friends, or the sure. personality you are with your wife, yeah. it's all, always slightly different. And it's more to the point of like your, your corporate zipped up, buttoned up uh, personality where you, you, you'll never, you'll never fail to catch yourself. You'll, you know, you're never going to accidentally curse in front of your boss. Sure. You know, you're just totally buttoned up that that's not the real you. It's this sort of the mask you wear for that, for that certain occasion. So to me, that's what the social media culture um, seems to be. It, it, so it's it's like an avatar, Another. it's a persona that people create so that yeah. they can tell a story about their lives that's better than it really is. Yeah, one hundred percent. And yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't even know what to add to that. That that's, well, that's well, that nails it. If you're living in that world mm -hmm. where you begin to believe that you are the persona that you are on Facebook. Yeah. That, yeah. that you, you begin to think about yourself that way, um, where you, you, know, like you, you, don't, you don't really re even remember anymore anything that you're not choosing to highlight and stick up there for everyone to see. Sure. I'm smiling right now because I can't help but think of like these 80s wrestlers like Macho Man and Hulk Hogan <laughs> who become Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. You know, like oh, yeah. They used to be Terry Balea, and now they're, brother, it's, like, <laughs> that's, that's him now. You that's know? how they are. You're yeah. right. You know who's escaped that? Uh, maybe not entirely, but The Rock. Even, yeah. though, even though he's still The Rock. I think it's because he plays pretend for a living. He's a bunch of different people. Although, I mean, let's be honest, he's pretty similar in all of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Rock. But, you know. All right. So, quote number three is the first one where, um, where he actually uses the word national socialism. Um, so, let me flip to this. It's a little bit later on, so we're probably looking at... It, you know, right around the Second World War, where this comes from. But it goes like this. Um, it says, In utter perversion of the goal of spiritual development, National Socialism destroyed man's moral autonomy and set up the nonsensical totalitarianism of the state. He says, the fairy tale, and by that he means like the myth, you know, he uses the myths to talk about this. He yeah. says, the fairy tale tells us how to proceed if we want to overcome the power of darkness. We must turn his own weapons against him. Um, and he goes on to say, uh, which naturally cannot be done, if the best men in the nation would rather preach dogmatism and platitudes than take the human psyche seriously. So you skipped over a couple of things in there. I did. Um, and that's some of the stuff that I was wondering about. Um, because this is one of the ones that, like, I'm lacking some context all in. All right, all right. Um, in utter perversion of this goal of spiritual development to which all nature aspires and which is also prefigured in Christian doctrine. All right, let's, let's stop right there. Sure. Because, uh, because it, maybe it does take a little bit of explaining. So he does say, he does talk about um, uh, the goal of spiritual development. And by that he means the maturing of, of the psyche. So... You know, you we all know somebody who, uh, like failure to launch, somebody who stopped growing up at some sure. point. You know, they they just sort of gave up, and they're like a perpetual child. We we all know people like that. Um, that's the type of like illness that he's talking that he's that he's talking about addressing with people. It's it's continuing your development all the way through until okay. you die. Got it. Because it never ends. In the moment you stop developing, 
you get stagnant and uh, you have all sorts of psychological problems that are going to happen to you. So then he goes on to say that national socialism destroyed man's moral autonomy and set up the nonsensical totalitarianism of the state. So what he's saying is that national socialism or any totalitarian idea ideology stops that spiritual growth? Well, that's exactly it. And the way he says it here is it destroys man's moral autonomy, and this does require some explanation. Sure. So, we, so you know, basically, what he's saying, and we'll get to this in the last quote because it's a little longer. It gets into this exactly. Um, but he, he, first of all, when he says moral autonomy, he's talking about people's um, ability to decide for themselves what's good and what's bad, what's good and what's evil, and in yeah. that sort of context. Yeah. And like in a, the way Jordan Peterson would say it, it's it's more about um, the things that we that we want for ourselves and for the future that we're trying to bring into existence for ourselves, you know, the future that we want to have, that we get to decide, like, whatever it is that we want to have in the future, or whatever it is that we want the future to be for ourselves, in our minds, is better than where we are now. Yes. So whatever whatever our goal is, is something better. And that, that's a value judgment. That's me making uh, my own mind to say, whatever this thing is, that this next step for me, that's better than where I am now. And I 100%. made that determination. 100%. What he's saying is that goes away and is replaced by the state. So the state now tells you where you're going and what's good and what's not. Oh, you know what that makes me think of is what's going on right now mm. with these people who... You know, I want to the uh, you know elderly people. I want to go visit my grandchild. I have to watch TV and find out if the governor says that I'm allowed to do that. Mm. You know, that's it. I, when we were, when I was reading these quotes, I, I couldn't help but you know transpose a lot of it onto what is going on today because oh, yeah. I feel like we are closer to a totalitarian state right now than we've ever been before. You know, I think that's more true in the United States of America today than in the Soviet Union, I say Soviet Union, than Russia today. Sure. Um, I, you know, I, f I feel like in Russia, those people already know that you can't, that they can't trust the media. Yeah. They already know the system is rigged. We are pretending like that's not the case here, and it's becoming more and more clear that we're, we're naive about yeah. that. Yeah, 100%. And the people who are still trying to pretend like that's not how it is... It's just so hard to take them seriously. Oh, yeah. You know, like these people... I'm just going to call them blue-pilled. I mean, you know... Right. These these blue-pilled people who don't... I mean, I feel like they're pretending not to see, but, you know, who knows? I, the human mind is crazy. That's the way it seems to me. Yeah. It's like because, how... I, because these aren't all... Because these people that we're talking about, and I'm thinking of a few in particular, these are smart people who I know sure. and, and like. 100%, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'll say Sam Harris... You, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't. I know you don't listen to him. I don't even listen to him that much anymore. But I remember uh, a couple weeks ago, or maybe not that long ago, I saw him tweet out something to the effect of, it was when Biden got sworn in. Mm. He said something to the effect of feeling a sense of great appreciation for the adults in the room. Mm. It's like, go fuck yourself, you, Sam Harris. You know what that sounds like? Maniacal arrogance. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know who you're talking about in general, but I got it. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way about a lot of people. Oh, I'm just thinking about people in my family. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> but it, right, it makes it, sense. But in any case, you know what? So what really stands out to me with this, with this quote is talking about how um, it's, it's the inability to make up our own minds about what's good and what's bad, that that is linked to our spiritual development. Mm-hmm. So those things are tied together. We have, it's, I think what Young is basically telling us is that we have to be in a position 
to to be able to to be true to ourselves about what we what we consider good. Okay. Uh, and if we and if we can't good and bad, and if we can't do that, that we aren't that we aren't able to grow. We're not able to develop the way that we're supposed to. That if we lose that, we're we're, we're like we're going to become in some way like perpetual children. Yeah. And that's what the to- what a totalitarian state wants. They want their people to be children that are looking to papa for 100%. everything. One hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you've heard anything about this. Uh, I mean, it's kind of conspiracy theory ish, but uh, this Build Back Better campaign. Uh oh. Um, and they're just talking about the Great Reset. Mm, uh, and I've heard there, that phrase. Yeah, there is this. I mean, it's the it's called the World Economic Forum, and it's a bunch of billionaires who want to manage everybody's lives. And uh, they say that, you know, by 2030, you're not going to own anything and you're going to be happy about it. Mm. Like, you need to go somewhere. You call the government car service and the government sends out a car and takes you where you need to go. And that's like everything. So no private property. No. Oh, absolutely. No private property. And the government provides everything for everyone. Everything. Mm. Yeah. So, you know what? This is that's an interesting. So we talked about idealism in like political philosophy with with anarchy and and communism in particular. But let's talk about this uh, idealism as, as far as like a technological oh, utopia a goes, type of thing, right? Like so, yeah, let's just imagine for a second. I feel like that's what we're headed to more than any of the other things. A lot of people seem to think that. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of crazy stuff. I mean. You've seen the, you know, the the robots that they're building that they're saying aren't aren't going to be used for for military purposes, and yeah. they're like crazy. Yeah. Um. And you you, just, you you look at that and you can see the droid army. You know, you can sure. see that coming. Sure. Um. And then AI and all that. Oh, at one hundred percent. And just that's ta- thinking of in my mind. You know, you're talking about robots and stuff. You're talking about like actual combat. Where my mind goes is the surveillance state. Mm. You know, them just constantly listening and knowing okay i mean i'm the type of person who politically i think things need to change sooner rather than later um that's about as in depth as i'll go into that but i think that we need change um how do you organize when they're listening all the time you know it's a good question how do you how do you organize well you don't organize behind their back uh that's for sure yeah um but you know the the thing about uh never no, not losing your privacy the thing about having no privacy ever again yeah um is that dishonesty kind of goes away you know it's like if everybody if if everybody knows everything um there's evidence of it and you can check it sure um then you really can't get away with lying anymore um what do you think about that is it good um i don't I don't. That's that's a whole can of worms there. I, I mean, I don't know. In some ways, I guess I can see how it would be good if it was just maybe if it was like natural evolution, mm-hmm. then maybe it would be good. But I don't think that having some massive corporation making those decisions mm-hmm. for me that I'm not allowed to have private thoughts anymore. I'm not mm-hmm. okay with that. That's a big problem. Okay. Okay. So that so now we're taking the the technology conversation to a whole another level to imagine a, a future scenario where you couldn't even have a thought that wasn't known or recorded somehow. Yeah. That's terrifying. So I was just listening to, I, I don't listen to him that much anymore, but I was just listening to Rogan and he had on that dude, Lex Friedman. Oh yeah. I like and Lex. they were talking about that, that type of thing. Yeah. They both think that eventually there's not going to be privacy anymore. Mm. It's just, it's going to be gone. Mm. So see when you said that the first time, privacy in in the context of surveillance, I sort of imagined 
like you know metadata and, and in the sense that the sure. government knows where I am, who I'm with, what I've purchased. That that I can't that I that I can't get away with anything. But I'd never really considered um, you know a scenario where I wouldn't be able to have a thought without it being sure. known. Yeah, and I mean right now. You think of something like Twitter, and I put a lot of my thoughts on Twitter, you know? True. It's not like a stream of consciousness or anything like that, but it is kind of a way of reading people's minds. I think they even said this on that, that Rogan Friedman podcast. Um, but just if we, as long as we don't blow this place up, uh, I think that eventually that crazy kind of technology, mm. it's inevitable, you know? we're going The more we start to understand the human... You know, all of this wet computer that we have in our skulls, mm. you know, the more we understand that and the more we understand how to manipulate matter outside to make it compatible with that. I think it I think it's inevitable. Mm. Um, so so I'm, you, as you're talking, I'm thinking about like um, universal basic income mm -hmm. and uh, the steps that we're starting to see being talked about that. If technology advances to a certain degree, they might actually be serious conversations. Sure. So, so let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about a utopia where technology has removed the need to work. Period. Okay. So, so we have uh, we have you know completely automated farms. We have completely automated fast food restaurant. All restaurants completely. Everything everything is like that. Um, where where you know um, pe people don't have any necessity to work anymore. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's an ideal. Uh, you know, future for some people. <laughs> I, I say ideal in the sense that I don't think it's realistic or possible. But just talking about as a thought experiment. Sure. Um, what does that look like? Psycho psychologically, politically, what does that look like? Do we become? Do we become? Because in a situation like this, I can I can see um, what the things that you were describing earlier. You need a ride. You call the government cab service, and they yeah. send you a car. That there might be a time where. Um, where pe there has to be some centralized, or maybe it's more efficient to have a centralized everything, mm -hmm. you know, and that and that would be you know government doing that. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, that just it doesn't seem it doesn't seem good to me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't I don't really know what to say about it other than that. Well, it reminds me of uh, Dostoevsky. It reminds me of that quote. Oh yeah. Um, Men are not like a, p a piano <laughs> keys key. of a piano. Yeah. yeah. So so um uh you know, I, I don't think that would be good you know f for human beings in general. It wouldn't be good for our, for our psyche or development and it would probably be the end of civilization if if that were yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that, uh, you know, you said that you don't necessarily think that that is possible um, or a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea, but I'm not 100% sure that it's not possible. I mean, I know that you feel this way too, um, but I have a lot of faith in the free market. Mm -hmm. um, but this is, see, this is where I have kind of a complicated relationship with capitalism and free markets. Okay. Uh, I mean, again, I don't think that we should be regulating things, but just because the free market creates it does not mean that it's good for us. So that's true. Um, I, I kind of, you know, I kind of vibe with people like Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. in what way? Uh, oh, the anti-technology. Yeah, man. Like, I mean, I, I understand we're, we're sitting here in front of, I've got a laptop here. You got a computer. We're talking into microphones. You know, I understand that it makes life easier, but I also think that it fucks us up. 
And I think that it fucks us up pretty obviously. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about I think about putting my daughter to bed every night, um, and she wants to sit there and watch and watch videos on her iPad. Yeah, you know, my four year old daughter with all that blue light blaring into her mm-hmm. eyes right before she goes to sleep. Not to mention the you know all the the five G waves that are there that are out sure, there yeah. bombarding our brain and all the gloom all the gloom and doom about uh, all that. Dude, the 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 negative impacts that technology has on us as hum as it, on humanity. It's endless. I mean, we could sit here and start listing things off all day long. You think about like the access of, you know, the access that children have to hardcore pornography, Mm. you know? Yep. I mean, it's just, there's no end to the negative repercussions of technology. And and kids aren't playing outside. They're not being physical anymore. There's all those things Mm -hmm. uh, that technology, there's the the unintended consequences of it. And the thing about technology is you develop it and that technology has impacts on you positive and negative but that technology also expands what is possible for the next technology that Mm. comes along and affects you negatively and positively and just forever right and it's all connected you're right yeah all right so so let's uh let's let's look at this next quote um here as well did Uh, we get through the last one yeah as as well as can be expected yeah i mean we did kind of go off on a tangent there too so but this next one's interesting because it it like the whole the, the whole context of this um, conversation is about uh, one of these archetypes, the trickster, mm-hmm. and the trickster is—that's is, actually a word that's used more like talking about mythology than it is talking about psychology. Yeah, it makes me think of like Loki. Exactly. Yeah. So, so Loki would be a trickster type character uh, in Native American mythology. It's it's usually like a coyote. Okay. Um, but it, but in the biblical story, it's the snake in, in the Garden gotcha. of Eden. Yeah. So, the, so a trickster is an interesting character because in Young talks about it as the shadow. And the shadow is like this part of you that's dark and capable of terrible things, and people tend to bury that deep down and pretend that we're not mm-hmm. uh, that we're not capable of murder or capable of anything crazy. Sure, um, because it's scary for us to think about, and we'd rather just pretend like it's not so, which I think ties into the first quote we, that we started with. Um, but the so the, so this quote has to do with that that idea. So we're talking about the trickster, which is very much the same thing as the shadow. Um, in mythology, the one thing that the trickster does is he's always like getting the hero into trouble. Yeah. But a lot of the times it or leading him astray. But a lot of the times it's going to like force him to um, uh, to confront something he needs to confront. So it's like helping the story along somehow. Got even, it. even though when you when you read the story, you're like this trickster's an asshole. Sure. Um, you know, and the same thing with the with the snake in the Garden of Eden. What a, what a dick the yeah. snake was. Yeah. Um, so here it goes. Here it goes. Um, all right. So it says. The best example of these monkey tricks, and by this he's talking about the, the types of antics that the trickster gets into. Sure. Um, as a popular speech aptly and truthfully sums up this state of affairs, in which everything goes wrong and nothing intelligent happens except by mistake at the last moment. And then he goes on to say that these are naturally to be found in politics. Okay, so first of all, he's talking about this trickster character and, yeah. and, and, and immediately links that type of buffoonery to politics, which I think is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, and then he goes on, he says, he says, the so-called civilized man has forgotten the trickster. He remembers him only figuratively and metaphorically. When, when irritated by his own ineptitude, he speaks of fate playing tricks on him or of things being bewitched. He never suspects that his own hidden and apparently harmless shadow has qualities whose dangerousness exceeds his wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. He says, as soon as people get together in masses and submerge the individual, the shadow is mobilized. And as history shows, 
may even pers- be personified and incarnated. That's good. That's that's powerful shit right powerful, there. Powerful, powerful. I mean, you think about obviously that that's calling to mind, you know, things of like Nazi Germany. You know, you think about the uh, the the rally at Nuremberg and stuff like that. And just oh, yeah. like this nation of people getting swept up in something. You know, I, I thought about that also. I also thought about like the Salem witch trials. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know what else it makes me think of? What these. Black Lives Matter riots. Ah, there you go. You know, uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff at work there, but I think that's part of it. You get these people out there, you know, all, I mean, you. It, it's like going to a good concert on some level, mm. you know, like oh, you're yeah. all moving to the same stuff yes. and, you know, you, there's this group think. And, I, you know, I think a lot of uh, people who think like you and I do would kind of be against that. And I am to some degree, but I like it at concerts, you know? Oh yeah, so. absolutely. Well, you get, you get swept up in that. It's anybody who's ever been to a concert, who's been in the mosh pit with the sweat and the people, yeah. and you're just, you, you're not even really controlling where you're going. You're sort of flowing with the wave sure, of humans and, and, and the music is just vibrating in your, sure. in your blood. You know, it's a spiritual, it's a powerful experience. Yeah. So I, I I get that. I don't go in many mosh pits anymore. No, I'm, anymore. I'm more like hippie dancing to some bluegrass tunes. Even that. Even at that. 100%. Yeah. But so, I mean, I I think that it's weird. There's like a, a, a double-sided, it's a double-edged sword, you know? There's the, the good part of it and the bad part of it. And we've been talking about collectivism a little bit. Yep. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more. But um, it just makes me think of... I have a complicated relationship with collectivism too because I don't necessarily think that it's always bad. Now, let, uh, I don't want to interrupt you, but I sure, kind of no, have to because I'm done. You're I'll, good. Well, you said collectivism isn't always bad, mm-hmm. and this is something I wanted to squeeze in a minute ago, and it goes along with that. So we think about groupthink, like you just said, like mass hysteria, uh, in the in the way that you know, in a bad way, in the way that like Hitler was able to manipulate people, the way that you know the Salem witch trials in a similar in a similar fashion. Yeah. But I was watching this documentary that was talking about the wisdom of crowds. You've heard that phrase before. Sure, yeah. And it's basically just um, what they did in the documentary was they had a jar full of uh, jelly beans, and they were asking people to guess how many was in the jar. And so he asked, uh, I don't know, 100 people. And then he talked about how some of them were like wildly off. Somebody said there were 400. Somebody else said there were 50,000. In reality, it was like 4,700 in there. Yeah. So he was talking about how some of these extreme guesses, they kind of like cancel each other out. The but a- the more people you ask, yeah. the closer and closer and closer the, the average, average gets. That's crazy, to, dude. Now, this is the crazy part. He does the math right there in the documentary. Yeah. He divides by 168 guesses because that's how many people guessed. Mm-hmm. And it was it was 10 off from that's the actual crazy. number. That's crazy. And this we- is the same one who, where 50,000 was a guess. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Crazy. Um, so that, I don't know exactly how that fits in, but I think that is an example of how collectivism somehow is more right in that way. I don't, yeah. I don't know how it fits. Maybe you can elaborate. I don't. I mean, I, I, I just kind of always go to, and this is a lot, much less interesting, more of a, like a uh, everyday example of good collectivism, but I think of like insurance, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, like we're all collecting, collectivizing so that if I get in a car accident, I'm not fucked you know right um which i like i said is a much more boring example than that but um no it, I, it works no i understand I, I i get it that uh that story you just told makes me think of that documentary on netflix what is it 
It's you about d- math. What? The code. That's that's the documentary oh, I was it? referring oh, to. Oh, it's nice. exactly okay. that documentary. I knew it. I, knew it. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah, it's a good one. So I want to get back to this though, because um, in the in the part of the and I'm not quite done with the passage, but in the part sure. the part that I read where it says here that when people get together in masses, that uh, it submerges the individual. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you remember the last quote we were talking about um, the moral autonomy of a human of a of a person being replaced by the state. Mm-hmm. So so suddenly we're looking at this pattern where Young is talking about. Uh, people not being able to think for themselves or being able to determine, and that's a word you used, self-determination last week, last yeah, week yeah. that people are, are kind of missing that in a totalitarian environment. And here he's basically saying when you look at people like that, when you, when you remove their individual identity, that, that uh, that's when you get sort of this eruption of like dangerous forces from the archetypes, from the, uh, from the unconscious. Sure. So I'll, I'll continue reading here. It says, uh, the disastrous idea that everything comes to the human psyche from outside and that it is born a tabula rasa is responsible for the erroneous belief that under normal circumstances, the individual is in perfect order. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where it gets good. He then looks to the state for salvation and makes society pay for his inefficiency. Yes. He thinks the meaning of existence would be discovered if food and clothing were delivered to him uh, gratis on his own doorstep or if everybody possessed an automobile. Such are the puerilities that rise up in place of, of an unconscious shadow and keep it unconscious. And then here's where it wraps up. As a result of these prejudices, the individual feels totally dependent on his environment and loses all capacity for introspection. In this way, his code of ethics is replaced by knowledge of what is permitted or forbidden. So this whole thing about losing the capacity for introspection, I, I mean, that's just basically being able to understand yourself. Yeah. You, you know, you look at yourself critically, you, you, you know, you, you're, you can admit kind of where, where your faults are. Um, he's saying that that, that that also goes away. So you lose your, your moral autonomy. Um, you can no longer, th- you know, think about yourself in any sort of meaningful way. And if you can't do that, you can't improve yourself. Mm-hmm. You, you, don't, you won't recognize where you're sick and you won't be, you know, you won't be able to do anything about it. Yeah. And he seems to talk about that not not being a problem necessarily with just the individual, but because societies are made of individuals. Yeah. That it's like a, it's like a one rotten apple spoiling the bunch. Sure. That you know it's that level problem. That that you know that if individuals don't have that moral autonomy, don't have that ability to of self determination, if they don't yeah. have that certain level of freedom, that everything falls apart. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's like, you know, kind of shades of Dostoevsky again, you know, the disastrous idea that everything comes to the human psyche from outside and that it is born tabula rasa, which means like a clean slate. Yeah, like a clean slate. Um, for those of you who don't speak Latin. <laughs> like, 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 <laughs> like anybody on this podcast. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's like, uh, it's like, yeah, that reminds me a lot of, um, Dostoevsky. Um, you know, like the key, like the, the keys of the piano. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly, exactly. You know, and exactly. But, but if you think about like classic, um, like USSR communism, um, the, the people, uh, the people were very much, uh, keys of a piano. They were very much a machine, a cog in a machine that, that, um, made up the Soviet union. What was yeah. important was the Soviet union, not any cog. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when I hit this key, it makes this sound. So 
when I tap you, you do what I tell you to you do. Make the sound. Yeah, exactly. Um, or, or you'll or to the gulag with you. One hundred percent. Yeah, and uh, to to keep going with that tabula rasa, it says, uh, and that it and that the the person is born with a clean slate. Uh, that it's responsible for the erroneous belief that under normal circumstances the individual is in perfect order. Right. That like, okay, as long you know. Everybody has these negative, the, these setbacks, these obstacles in their life. And basically, this totalitarian idea is that if we, the state, get rid of those obstacles, that everyone will just be operating in perfect order right. and everything's going to hum along, you know. And that reminds me of, I don't know, it, I think it's from the book um, Notes from Underground by mm. Dostoevsky yeah. where he talks about how you could give a man cakes for days, you know, just make him to where he's perfectly happy and he will find something to complain about. Yep. You know, it, yep. no, there's no such thing as, as eternally perfectly happy. Yeah, it's it, not it, happening. No, it actually, it actually goes on to say that, it, 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 you know, I'm paraphrasing, but that, it, it, you know, that he, if people were, were, were content that all they had to do was eat cakes and busy themselves with the propagation of the species, mm-hmm. uh, that people would, Burn it down yep. just so something interesting happens, just just so they could have some struggle. Yeah, and that that's you know something very important for human beings to have something to struggle with. Yeah, um, I think that that's definitely true. I th- I mean that's why you know you think you look at what's going on with politics right now, and Joe Biden's the president. And I mean I don't even really think that that matters that much. I don't think the president has that much power, but just right. like. The prevailing ideology, especially on the left, is that sort of a thing. Let's take care of everyone. Let's iron out all these obstacles, mm. um, and look at look at how things are going. Well, you know what? I, I think that what you just described is the answer to the question that I posed earlier about if we had a a utopian, you know, technologically advanced uh, world to live in, you know, su- super crazy sci fi world that. If all of our problems were solved, meaning we didn't have to work, we had everything we wanted, if we needed a ride, we call the government cab service and it shows right up. And, you know, if, if that was the case, um, that, you, you know, we both said earlier, we, we don't think that would be good. And we just we just discovered the reason why, because we wouldn't have anything to struggle against. Yeah, well, true. And then um, what? And then what? We'd be fucking bored, Kyle. Yeah. We'd be bored. Yeah. Um, and, and that's like... Kind of regardless of how we get to that, just just touching on a point I made earlier, regardless of how we get to that, because, you know, this, this, we're kind of talking about two issues here. One is whether or not having everything provided for you would be good. The other is, would the state be able to do that in the first place? Which right. the answer to that is clearly no. Clearly. Um, now, I think that the answer to the other question of is it good for you is clearly no, too. But I do think that maybe there's a little bit more room for debate on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do. I'm with you. I think that that struggle is important. It is that, important. Uh, and I think that that is what a lot of human beings, myself included, are missing out on, mm-hmm. you know, um, that struggle. Right. So so, so um, last week we were talking, I said one of the things that I would try to do is insert things that pop in my head when we're talking about something. Sure. And uh, we're, here we're talking about... Um, human beings just needing something to struggle against that that being some fundamentally important part of just existing and without it you know we're we're a mess 
um, that it just reminded me of. In fact, it may have been a, it may have been a Jordan Peterson lecture uh, talking about uh, the biblical series mm-hmm. and talking about um, um, Israel, the, the character Israel um, wrestling with God. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the story if you remember the story. I I'm do. sure you do because yeah. you went to Christian schools. I don't remember <laughs> it in great detail, but I do remember the story. Well, the story the story you know in a literal way, if you read it, it's that the that the guy str- wrestled with with somebody, and uh, you know it was a supernatural somebody. And yeah. and at the end of the story, you realize that it's God, and God wins by dislocating the guy the guy's uh, hip. And then uh, when he's done struggling with God, then he gets the he gets renamed uh, Israel and becomes sort of the founder of the of the, of the people. But yeah. Um, but that struggling, that wrestling with God, that struggling with God, I think whatever that story is talking about is the same thing that we're talking about right now. It's Got it. having that struggle. Um, so I, again, I know we're uh, struggle with God, but struggling with, with the world, struggling yeah. with reality, that having some struggle is 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 necessary. Yeah. I mean, I don't. We. I'm sure that eventually we'll talk about religious beliefs and stuff like that, but. The idea of wrestling against God and wrestling against reality is not a different thing to me. Not, it's not like to the me exact either. same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I, you know, I love, I love that interpretation of religious texts. Um, you know, that yeah. psychological. Oh kind yeah. Of, uh, you know, I just love that. Yeah, it, it put it put it in it, those stories that you kind of grew up with in such a different light that yeah. they were interesting to me for the first time since I heard those stories. One hundred percent, could not agree more. Yeah. Shout out to Jordan Peterson. Um, <laughs> all right, so we do have one more um, passage, and this one See, it, that's all you sent me. I, that was the last the last one that oh, I. Oh well, good. This will be a surprise then. All right. And so the reason I like this one is because it has to do with nihilism, and that's a subject that's one of your favorites. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, mean, I'm, I hate nihilism. But <laughs> I do find it interesting. So what I want to do is read this one uh, as well, and this. This one is towards the end of the book, so we're probably some, somewhere after the Second World War when this was written. But it goes like this. It says, The tempo of the development of consciousness through science and technology was too rapid and left the unconscious, which could no longer keep up with it, far behind, thereby forcing it into a defensive position which expresses itself in a universal will to destruction. The political and social isms of our day preach every conceivable ideal but under, under this mask, they pursue the goal of lowering the level of our culture by restricting or altogether inhibiting the possibilities of individual development. They do this partly by creating a primitive state of affairs that affords only the barest necessities of life. And it goes on to say it surpasses the horror of the worst times of the so-called Dark Ages. And then it ends up saying that the problem cannot be solved collectively because the masses are not changed unless the individual is changed. Yeah. So I love this. Yeah. Um, and, and when it says, when it says, in this passage is talking about technology, so it's kind of interesting, but basically what he's saying is, as technology goes crazy, and we are learning all this stuff about the world that we didn't used to know, we're learning about a lot of stuff about ourselves that we didn't used to understand. We're, we're learning a lot of things we didn't used to understand. And that when we do that, there's some part of our of, of that collective unconscious. There's some part of that that um, that goes a little bananas at that because it's like uh, it's like it's almost like we're um, running before we're walking. It's like um, we're supposed to sort of mature into these things slowly and gradually, and we're kind of jumping into the deep end now because technology is going absolutely bananas and it's only continuing to to get 
you know, worse, yep. that, that somehow this creates, um, this creates sort of an illness uh, where our, our, our unconscious is sort of exerting some sort of force on our psyche that's making us sick. And he calls that a universal will to destruction. Mm. That's nihilism. Yeah. That that's you know you can imagine the uh, you know the guy that uh, lives in his mom's basement and is far too old to be doing that and is mad at the world and doesn't have any friends sure. and doesn't doesn't have a girlfriend. Sure. And that person hates the world and thinks um, and and I, again this is a hypothetical person but you can imagine that person thinking uh, that it might be better if the world didn't exist. Sure. The hypothetical people are real people. I mean, you think about. Um, you know, another person like that, the guy who lives in Afghanistan and his family got murdered because a drone dropped bombs on his, mm. you know, trying to kill someone else. Mm. And now he just wants to destroy the entire world. And that is logical, yes. you know, like that makes sense. And that's like the whole thing about not understanding what your shadow is capable of. Well, you put your shadow in the right circumstances and you will find out that it's capable of some some bad stuff it, absolutely um yeah. so that reminds me of those harvard or was it harvard it was stanford prison experiments yeah so for anybody who doesn't know this story um this was philip zombardo i believe was the psychologist did this experiment where he had students in college uh volunteered to be prisoners and others volunteered to be guards um and they sort of set up this fake prison and uh it didn't take long at all before the guards started getting physically abusive and violent with the with the uh, the fake guards were getting physically violent and abusive with the fake prisoners um and the experiment had to be shut down prematurely because it was so crazy yeah that p the shadow is real and, yeah. if, and if you don't think you couldn't rip somebody's fucking throat out 100 you know give it a little thought try, yeah, try yeah. to imagine what scenario might make that uh ne necessary for you Ch try to imagine you know the last can of soup at the grocery store and you have to feed your children sure you know yeah, I mean, and you need to think about that because if you don't think about it and you find yourself in that scenario, then if you had thought about it, maybe you'd be able to keep yourself under control. It's called naivety, Kyle. Yeah. That has burned me so many times in my life um, because I always thought, I always assumed that everybody was more or less like me. Sure. And that's been a mistake and been wrong every single time. Yeah. Um, you have to get creative and imagine uh, what you're capable of so that you know what other people are capable of. Yep. Yep. Mm. All right, Kyle. So um, the, other, the other thing here, the last piece here that I wanted to talk about is this thing where it says that the political and social isms of our day preach every conceivable ideal. Um, and we talked about that already. Um, but under this mask, they pursue the goal of lowering the level of our culture by restricting or altogether inhibiting the possibilities of individual development. So, again, ima imagine uh, a totalitarian government. Imagine one with high technology, like, we're, like we've been talking about. If they take all of the work off of our shoulders and solve all of our problems and put food on the table and a roof over our head and they're doing all of that for us... Mm -hmm. um, do you think that lowers the level of our culture? Do you think that, do you think that turns us into something more like children? Yes. I think it turns us into something more like slaves. And I don't like, I don't think that the African American slaves were any less human. Of course not. I think that they were in a bad position, you know, but I think that 
what that kind of thinking does to human beings is to make them less human. It makes mm. them le- it makes them slaves in a way that they are less human. Yes, less human. That's a good way of putting it. Um. So so. I, I guess what I'm asking is, do you think that do you think that this is the goal of what's happening right now with with our own government? Do you, do you think that you know they're talking right now about? Um, forgiving our student loans. Um, you know, we've talked about universal basic income already. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, these things are, are being talked about. Um, and I just wonder if, if we're not struggling for those things, um, are we all going to be complacent? Are we, are we go? is that, is that slowly going to change our, our, the way that we are? Um, and until again, this, this says, you know, d- diminishing the state of our culture. I mean, to that extent, to where if we're not struggling anymore, we're not, we're not, writing songs anymore we're not sure. painting we're not painting art anymore sure. we're not we're not we're not you know pushing our horizons anymore yeah yeah i think it's funny that a lot of times you talk to people who are into the idea of ubi and things like that and they think you know oh just give people two hundred dollars every or two thousand dollars every month and that'll free people up to be artists and and i just don't know that i think that that's true i think that it would you know, suck the motivation out of people. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, we were talking earlier about objective reality, and I'm not 100% sure that I believe in objective reality, to be honest no, with you. I don't either. Um, so, but, but I do think that some things, we can look at the way things operate in this, you know, matrix that we're operating in, and we can see that some things work. And I think that... Um, you know, I, I just think that, I, I honestly, I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> well, that's all right, man. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know what the answers are, Kyle. Um, I just think it's interesting that, um, that Carl Jung, who, like I said earlier, who's, um, whose goal in life, whose profession was to help people and heal people with, with mental illness. Um, and, and, and the way he might put it is help them develop spiritually or, you know, psychologically or, or whatever the way, the way that they should. And that he continues to pepper in, um, statements about how that seems to apply, uh, to, to the masses, to the state, um, uh, but then he goes on to say that the solution is not with the state, but with the individual, which I completely under, I completely agree with. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a it's a hearts and minds thing. You know th- that this is something that people need to take more seriously. And uh, you know we we talked last week I did about people avoiding doing the hard thing all the time, and this is the thing that we can't afford to not do. Yeah. You know we have to take ourselves seriously. We have to understand who we are, what we're capable of. Um, we that oh, that will help us to avoid the pitfalls. Like you know, I, you know, I'm gonna I'll talk about my own hypocrisy for just a second because, um, you know, I am not against um, uh, well, I'm not in support of a Biden forgiving uh, student loans, but I have tens of thousands of dollars of student loans, and if he did. Um, part of me would be very pleased about that. Sure. Um, but I, I wouldn't generally be in support of that. Um, so I'm pointing out my own, my own hypocrisy just to say that, you know, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Sure. Um, and that it, and then those things are attractive. Um, you know, it's easy to get, uh, to get, to get taken in by it. And, and, you know, we have to do the hard thing instead. Yeah. Uh, just to touch back on what I was saying there, I, it kind of came back to me and I was just saying that, 
Um, I'm not sure I believe in objective reality, but there are patterns that seem to make sense. And one of those is that it's not good to avoid the hard work. You know, you have to lean into it. Otherwise, you you know, and if yeah. you if you just, you know, hand all of that over to the government or the you know, the state to do all of that for you. Mm. What are you? What what do you become? Somebody does the hard work for you. Yeah. What do you become? Yeah. I, I think that's great. And uh, a great a great place to probably wrap it up. Actually, I have uh, one quick Carl Jung quote that I found, too. And I just think it was interesting uh, and a good place to quote close because it's not like long and it, it's just kind of a general idea. But okay, I just let's, think let's hear it. that it's interesting. A lot of these people will talk about ideas and I hear them and I'm like, I've been thinking that. I've never read this before, but I've been thinking mm. that for a long time. And uh, this kind of reminds me of that. It says, man's task is to become conscious of the contents that press upwards from the unconscious. Neither should he persist in his unconsciousness nor remain identical with the unconscious elements of his being, mm. thus evading his destiny, mm. which is to create more and more consciousness. As far as we can discern, the sole purpose of human existence is to kindle a light in the darkness of mere being. To kindle a light in the darkness of mere being. That's beautiful. Yep. All right, guys, that's it for, for now. We'll hit you back next week with another interesting conversation. Yes, indeed. I don't know what it's going to be about yet, but we'll figure it out. Goodbye, guys. Adios.